Welcome to the end of Q3, or the third fiscal quarter of the year. It's almost Q4, which means one huge thing for marketers, the holidays. This is one of the absolute biggest times of the year for creators, as this is one of the biggest purchasing seasons of the entire year. Since we as influencers or creators influence purchasing decisions, it's a prime time of year to make a decent chunk of income. Many brands, especially those who are more prominent during the holiday season, like gifted products or alcohol brands, they save a huge chunk of their budget for this time of year. They're making more money, so they're willing to spend a little bit more too. But how can we as creators sell ourselves to brands for holiday campaigns and get on their radar? To answer that question, we first have to learn about how brands run their campaigns during this time of year. How far in advance should you be initiating that conversation? What should your pitch look like? Are there any things that you need to do before pitching that can help your chances at getting the brand's attention? I'm Kristen Busquet, and I've been a full-time creator for over three years and have brought in over $350,000 from sponsored posts and content creation collaborations with brands so far. Social Scoop is the podcast where we teach you, the entrepreneurial creator, to turn your online influence and creativity into a profitable, self-sustaining business. Today, we're here with Alex DiCapo, the VP on the digital and influencer team at Azioni, a PR agency who has changed the game for some huge brands like Away, Fender, Frank Body, Skull Candy, and more. Alex has developed and implemented impactful social campaigns across fashion, lifestyle, wellness, and tech for a diverse clientele. Specializing in celebrity dressing and red carpet product placement early on in her career, Alex recognized the power of influencer marketing and pivoted her attention and expertise to the digital influencer space. Today, we're diving into everything that you need to know as a creator to have a successful holiday season working with brands. How do agencies and brands find and choose the creators that they're working with? When's the best time to pitch? How can you set yourself apart in that pitch? What makes a brand want to continue working with you even after the holiday season? We're giving you the scoop on all things monetizing during Q4. This My Biz BFF is Social Scoop. Hello, my friends, and welcome to episode 44 of Social Scoop. My name is Kristen, and as always, I'm so excited that you're here. Honestly, I selfishly have been looking forward to this episode so much because Alex is such a great resource. And this is just such a really chaotic time of year for creators that I love to get any information possible that's going to help me make decisions on how to be a more successful creator. Before we dive into this week's news, I did want to just remind you that if you're not part of our private membership community just yet, you guys have to get in, especially during the holidays. There's going to be so many crazy things that come your way as a creator this time of year, and having someone to hold your hand through that whole process and be a resource whenever you need it is going to be so helpful so that you can make sure you're maximizing the income that you're bringing in as a creator and what's really out there for you to take advantage of, essentially, at this point in the year as an influencer. So if you're not part of our membership community, you can find more information in the description, but literally you're going to get everything that you could possibly need as a creator to be successful from templates and resources, exclusive podcast episodes. We give you the weekly reels trending sounds every single week. 
We have our collaborative brand email database, a huge community of creators, and you actually are going to get a free one-on-one intro call with me when you enroll because I want to get to know you and figure out how I can guide you through this whole process. So check out the information in the description and I will see you guys there. This week, Instagram is trying to make your recommendations more tailored to you. You know when you're on your TikTok FYP and you're just like, wow, is TikTok in my brain right now? Like everything that's coming up is something that like I didn't know I needed to watch, but I'm actually very interested in it. Instagram has done this on the Explore page, but in my opinion, not as well as TikTok has. They're trying to make some changes there to make that process a little bit better for you as a user. So They're first testing the ability to mark multiple posts in the Explore page as not interested. So this is going to help train the algorithm better on what you do actually like to see. Right now, you can hold down a post and hit not interested, but you'll be able to select a bunch of different things at once and say not interested so that they will essentially not show you that type of content anymore. They're also testing the ability to tell Instagram certain words, phrases, or emojis that you don't want to see content that has to do with. So it'll basically find those words in the captions or the hashtags, and then it's going to know not to show you that type of content. This is really cool. Instagram is actually working on a plan and event feature. So essentially where you would go to post a reel or a post or a story on that little box with a plus sign in the middle If this does come to fruition, you'll be able to click on that and essentially hit the option that says plan an event. And it will let you choose the location, the date and time, and of course, invite people. So I can definitely see this as something really cool for a digital event. Or again, even if you wanted to get together with your friends and a lot of people at this point maybe don't have Facebook, this is a cool way to plan your events without having to go on to another platform. So this week, Meta also released this whole like overview, I guess you could call it, of some key elements that it factors into essentially video ranking algorithms. So I wanted to go over it with you quickly. However, I do definitely suggest that you head to the show notes and read the entire blog post because I think there's a lot of very valuable information in there for creators if you are like, why aren't my videos hitting like I expect them to? This is what they're looking for. First things first is originality. So I'm going to read word for word. Original videos reflect the unique voice and value of the content creator. They are distinctive and are produced in a manner that has never been made before. We prioritize original video to reward the hard work of crafting authentic content. So it seems that originality is is one of their main things. Like the things that they've never seen before, people doing new, innovative, fun, cool things is definitely something that will get your videos pushed out further into the algorithm. The second thing here is that it captures and retains attention. And again, I'm going to give it to you word for word. Retention is one of the indicators of how well the content was received by the audience. A slow and gradual decline in the audience retention graph can show that the topic and structure of the video match well with what your audience wants to see, while an early drop-off may mean that the content isn't what the viewer expected. So for example, if you have a 30-second long video and people are watching the first three seconds and then stopping, that's not saying to Instagram that people care about what you're posting or that it's relevant to them. So they want to see that people are watching your video almost all the way through, maybe dropping off towards the end, or they're watching the entire video and even going back for a second viewing of it. 
Loyalty and intent is something else that they consider. They said, when people regularly come back to view an account's videos, we take it as a strong positive signal for distribution. This is especially true when we see that people actively search for your content or seek it out on video-first destinations like Facebook Watch or directly on your account. So again, when people are coming back to you and looking at your account, being very loyal to your content, that signals to Instagram, okay, this must be good. People really like what this person's creating. Let's share more of their content. And lastly, engagement. We know this one. We prioritize content that sparks conversations and meaningful interactions between real people. In addition, we value content that inspires the audience to create a version of their own, as our research has shown that participation leads to deeper connections. So if you're creating something that's, first of all, getting people talking in the comments, that's going to be a great thing. But even if people are recreating your video, that's showing people that that video is, again, very engaging, but also goes back to that originality piece. So again, there's a whole post about this that Meta goes into even more detail. I would definitely suggest checking it out. Again, it is in the show notes that's in the description, so you can check it out there. Lastly, Hype Auditor actually had this new report come out that I wanted to share some key findings, but this is another one that I would really suggest going to actually look through the whole thing because it's very eye-opening. I love this kind of data and information. Maybe you don't, (laughs) so I'm going to give you the key talking points today. But if you're someone like me who really eats this stuff up, go read it. It's really interesting. So they analyzed 77.6 million Instagram posts. This was in July. They just released the information though. What they found was that carousels and feed posts make up 68% of all of those 77.6 million posts. So what? Almost 70% are carousels and feed posts. Reels came in after that. Now, while Reels are the third most popular posting option, they're actually seeing by far the most reach on the platform. And again, I don't think this is news to us. This kind of just confirms what we've been feeling, right? Reels are also generating a lot more likes while image posts are generating more comments. And this one I think is interesting because I personally feel like I actually typically get more likes on my feed posts than I do on my reels if the reach is around the same. However, if I ever have a reel that, you know, goes semi-viral or whatever, gets more views than my typical posts do, of course, I'm going to see more likes on that. So I think it's interesting that they didn't really like specify that. But I don't know for me, and I would be curious to know if this is true for anyone else. For me, I always see more likes on my feed posts than I do my reels when they have about the same engagement that I typically expect. The data shows that reels are the best option right now for maximizing reach and engagement in the app. Again, we knew this. Yet, even amid the rising hype around short-form content, most users are not posting reels as of yet. In this article, I should have grabbed the number, I totally forgot, but it was a crazy number of people that are not have not even posted one reel yet. It was like 56% of users or something, something really huge that I was really surprised about because I see so many reels and I think majority of people that I interact with or that I follow are using reels. So if you haven't hopped on reels yet, 
honestly, I guess at this point, there's no shame. More than half of the people on the app are not creating them. So you're definitely not alone. However, the information here definitely shows that reels are apparently the best way to be getting more engagement and more reach. Now that is all your news for today, you guys. I hope that this was helpful and that you're following along with everything that the internet is throwing at us this week. One reminder here, if you are not yet in our Facebook community, we have an amazing community that is a free community with almost 800 creators. It's a really great way to chat with other influencers and your peers who are also navigating this industry. People are sharing rates. They're helping each other connect with brands, telling about experiences as creators. So if you want to get in on a free community where you can throw some ideas back and forth, get some information, our Facebook group is a really great place for that. So the link is down in the description and you guys can check that out. Without further ado, I'm so excited for you to hear this episode. If you love it, please let me know. Send me a DM and let me know how you like this episode because I want to know if you guys are as excited as I am. And I'll throw it out there too. If you love this episode, hit that five-star review for us. It's the best compliment you can give us so that this podcast gets distributed to a larger group of people. So, all right, guys, let's get right into Alex's interview. Obviously, for creators, the holiday season can be honestly a wild time, and there is a lot to learn for especially new creators around the holiday season. So I'm so excited today. We have Alex here who's going to give us the whole perspective from an agency side on how brands can work with creators and how creators can work with brands during this crazy holiday season. So Alex, thank you so much for being here. Thank you for having me. Excited to chat through all. Yes. So for anyone who doesn't know, I'd love to have you kind of just introduce yourself. Tell us a little bit about what you do um, and how you work with creators. Yes. So I'm currently a VP on the digital influencer team at Azioni. Azioni is an agency based in New York. We have office in LA. um, And now our team is, you know, due to COVID all throughout the country. We specialize in what I predominantly specialize in is fashion, lifestyle, beauty, and wellness brands. We work with the brands and help them connect with different creators. So we do everything from paid programming to earned gifting. We also do a little, well, we all do VIP as well. I feel like predominantly our team Um, We do have a focus on influencer marketing, but we also do celebrity too. Amazing. Yeah, I love it. I feel like from listening to your episode on Sonia and Harley's podcast, it sounds like you have a very well-rounded background in working with influencers, with celebrity. Like I can only imagine the things that you've seen. Yeah, well, and I think too, I I think why I always am like, oh, and celebrity, I, especially in the pandemic when celebrities were all at home, it's almost as if they transitioned into being influencers themselves. We saw so much more content of them posting with brands and creating content at home. And especially with TikTok, I feel like everyone was creating not so serious content where they kind of were straddling the in-between. So, you know, everyone that's on the internet we're working with. Exactly. Yeah. (laughs) I love that. So today I want to talk about how you, as someone who's at an agency, you know, actually finding influencers to work with, navigating that entire campaign process. I want to dive into everything top to bottom on how you find these creators and work with them. So let's start off by talking about how you actually discover creators. So how are you actually finding these creators that you're working with for campaigns? At an agency, I think you know, there's definitely this pool of creators that we're working with on a regular basis because we work across so many different brands, across so many different verticals. Our team has developed, 
I feel like an ever running list of new people to work with, especially, you know, I feel like there's never been more creators than at this very moment. And I think because, you know, here at my agency, we work with everyone from nano to macro, the pool of talent is just ever growing. So definitely, you know, when we're ideating to discover new talent, we do use different platforms that help us I don't want to say, you know, sift through the creators, but, you know, sometimes our clients are looking for specific people in specific regions or within specific verticals. So we do have those tools, but a lot of what we do is manual. So it is spending a lot of time on these platforms. I think, you know, working in influencer marketing, if you don't spend a lot of your time on the internet, I will be shocked because, (laughs) you know, we're on there all the time looking at our partner's content and all of this, but it is really the ultimate tool to find and discover new talent. I think even when we have these different platforms that kind of steer us in the right direction of a pool of talent, we still need to go through and, you know, look into it a little bit deeper beyond just like the analytics or the geographical location or what their audience looks like. We also want to make sure they're a match aesthetically. So it's kind of hard. It's a, it's a manual search. And I feel like we're, right. you know, for me personally, I'm always, I use my Instagram as such a tool. I have different folders for different verticals. I'm constantly saving talent that I see, even if I don't have a reason to work with them at the moment, because you never know when you would need to, you know, tap into a new pool of creators. So yeah, lots of manual research coupled with these platforms that help us narrow our options to begin with. Right. Yeah. Okay, that makes sense. I'm curious. So when you are doing this more like manual research where you're going in and like, are you looking through like the explore page? Are you like if you were looking for, you know, a a fashion influencer, are you going into the search page and typing like fashion or, you know, how are like logistically, how are you doing that manual research? I probably need to use hashtags more than I do because I (laughs) still feel like so many creators are using them and I think that they can be a great tool. I've also noticed this specifically with nano creators, you know, like discover under 5k, discover under 10k. I think that those hashtags are clearly noticed. Like I do see them. I just don't tap into them as much as I should. So um, I do think, like I said, we have this pool of creators that we're always working with when we're trying to find new talent. You know, there are certain influencers that can be a perfect archetype for a campaign. So the drop down feature on Instagram and TikTok is amazing where it will suggest other creators that are similar. Yes. The platforms that we also utilize and some of those are, you know, Julius Creator IQ and that pull in different talent. They have the same tools where they'll recommend, you know, similar talent like that. Okay. But then it's also, you know, going to look at other brands and and seeing, you know, who's tagging similar brands and creating strong content within a specific vertical. I feel like the ways when we start digging for new talent, you just spend so much time kind of going from one to the next. And yeah. as I'm sure we've, you've probably spent time doing yeah, the same it's like thing a chain at some point. Exactly. Yeah. <laughs> so the drop down feature is great. Okay. And then once we kind of have this pool, I think that, I mean, that's when we typically go in and start to look more into the analytics, making sure, right. you know, they're creating strong content on a regular basis. But just in terms of ideation and pulling in talent, that's how I sift through. That's, I mean, that's honestly like gold information for us. Cause like, I mean, when you said that you go to like maybe another similar brand and look at who they're, who's getting tagged or who's tagging that brand. Like, that's not something I would have thought that you guys do. So like, this is really good information to know, you know? So that's definitely really helpful. I appreciate it. So 
I am curious now, once you maybe go through and you find some creators and you're like, oh, they seem like they might be a good fit. Like we'll put them on this list and then we'll dive into a little bit deeper. Mm -hmm. What are the things that you kind of like dive in deeper to look at? Like what is what is almost like your checklist of like, okay, this might be a creator we actually want to work with? When creating a list, it's really this big puzzle and we're trying to check so many boxes across the board. So it's almost when you're looking at a creator individually, I think the first thing that everyone looks at is engagement. You know, at the end of the day, we're trying to drive conversion, whether that's in new followers for that brand, actual sales for that brand, or even just eyes on their site. So engagement needs to be high. That would be you know, I think across the board, the first thing that everyone's looking at. Yeah. And that's after, you know, we've decided they're an aesthetic match and, you know, they're kind of first right. past that first point. Another thing that we look at and into, and I think this is really dependent on the brand and the client that you're working with is the audience demographics. So taking a look at different characteristics, I think some brands only sell within the US. So you want to make sure that right. you're targeting creators that have a really strong presence Um, in the U.S. within their audience, or maybe we're trying to reach a certain income bracket, or maybe we're trying to reach men versus women. And, you know, a lot of creators' audiences skew heavily one way or the other. So, you know, looking at the analytics that way, and it really depends on the brand. I have some clients that just want it to be an aesthetic match. You know, they want to see that they have a certain amount of followers. They want to see that they have, you know, a beautiful feed and they create engaging stories. And that's really all you need to land on a list. Whereas some who've kind of been doing this for a lot longer or have really specific goals per quarter, all those other metrics really come into play. And that's when we're really reviewing every creator with this kind of fine tooth comb and really looking into their audience demographics. Okay, that makes sense. Actually, quick question on engagement. Do you have, I mean, obviously you have these tools that kind of go deeper into engagement and everything, but is there like a specific percentage that you typically look for? Like I've always heard that 2%, 3% engagement is typically like what brands look for. Is that pretty accurate? Yeah, I would say that's the industry standard is if you're around two to 3%, it's average. And then it's really shocking though. Now I think too with TikTok where you have a lot of creators that started their following on TikTok, and now it's transferred over to Instagram. It's fascinating to see how engaged their audiences are compared to someone who, you know, was born on Instagram and has tried to make the transition to TikTok. It's just the engagement is crazy. Yeah, TikTok has really changed the game. And and it's honestly like, as a creator, I feel like it's I have a love-hate relationship with it <laughs> yeah. because there's so many pros, but there's also so many things that I'm just like, oh man, they, TikTok really has made my life so much more difficult. Right. So I have a love-hate relationship with it, but it's crazy how much change it really has made. Well, and I also feel as, you know, if Instagram wasn't trying to keep up with TikTok and not constantly changing their algorithm, I don't think the struggles would be as real in my opinion. Because <laughs> even, you know, on Honestly. our side, when we're trying to make a case for some creators that maybe we've worked with over and over again. And then you look at their metrics at the moment and engagement is just so down across the board for everyone. You know, you almost have to take it with a grain of salt and it's unfortunate to see. I'm like, you think Instagram would try to fix it at this point? Literally. Yeah. They're all about helping creators. Right. But over here, all of us creators are just like, this is the worst it's ever been. And actually, I mean, like, that's a really great point. That's something I, I talk with creators every single day about this, how engagement is so low on Instagram. And we're all like trying to uh, trying our best. We're doing all of the things we're supposed to be doing, but it's so much lower than usual. So it's hard because 
we hear that brands want to see really good engagement, but we're like checking all of our boxes and doing everything right, but we're not getting the same engagement as we used to. So like, that's, I think, a, a big struggle that creators go through. But it's good to hear from your perspective that you guys are aware of that. Because I think that's something we're always worried about. It's like, do they know that it's not us? Like, we, we're really trying. No, absolutely. And even, you know, even if it's not my campaign or something that I'm working on, you know, like I said, we're all consuming content all the time. We're paying attention to what other brands are doing. And right. you, I, I mean, I see content all the time where it's amazing, strong content. I would be so excited if someone produced that for my brand. And then you look at the engagement yeah, and it's falling flat. And it's something, it's it's just unfortunate because it's not even overly branded yeah. content where you can maybe understand, oh, their audience picked up on this and that's why they're not engaging. It's really creative, exciting right. content that is just for some reason not getting any eyes on it. It's a struggle out there. It really is. Yeah. <laughs> so I'm actually curious. This is, a, I guess, more of a question that I personally had, but I'm, I know there are other people out there who are thinking the same thing. So I'm really curious with like casual Instagram being a thing now, you know, where it's like we're not using for our photos like a DSLR camera, like it's a lot of iPhone stuff happening. Mm -hmm. Do you find that your clients are navigating like towards that more casual content or do a lot of brands you work with still want, you know, like high quality DSLR imagery? I think it well, twofold. I think it depends on the brand and the client and then also yeah. the creator. So most brands, and this is something I, as an agency, why we're here to help our brands. I think when creators are working directly with brands, it may be a different story, but mm -hmm. we never want to take a creator and then have them produce content that is not in line with the other content that they're producing on a regular basis. So yeah. if someone is producing overly polished content and that has, and they've never varied from that and it's proven to be very successful for them, when we go to that creator and propose them to our client, that's the content that we're anticipating to get back. Yeah. So, you know, we'll, we'll never want to shift that. And, you know, I've noticed there's a lot of creators that has still not deviated from that and they're still glossy creating this editorial content on a regular basis and it's who they are. Right. I think for the most part, it really comes down to just following the brief that we send you. If you're touching every single talking point and hitting, you know, the creative, because mostly we'll send, you know, specific bullets on what we're, we want to see, what we don't want to see here, specific yeah. talking points. And then we also share some content that great examples that we'd love to see. Can inspire um, you. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. But I think as long as you follow that, the brand should be pleased with what you produce because they're either engaging you because your content already is in line with what they're putting on their channels. So they're right. coming to you because aesthetically you're a match and they assume they're going to get that back based on what you produce. Or they're coming to you because you have this highly engaged audience and maybe your content isn't exactly a match for what they would put on their own channels, but they know that they're going to get great engagement and great return in other ways. And so right. this kind of goes back to that puzzle of why we're putting people on the list. There's always people that are the aesthetic match that we're putting on there because yeah. they, the, when they speak to their audience, they just, the messaging is there and everyone eats up everything that they're saying. To answer your question, I think, I think that that's TikTok in, in itself, right? I think TikTok is this casual content. It's not overly mm -hmm. produced. It's not glossy. And brands are now right. so eager for that content. All they want to do is go viral. I think if it goes viral and it may not be the most beautiful content, I think they care more about that than yeah. being, you know what I mean? So the production. Yeah. yeah. 
Exactly. Like I think it's it's so right. much more about being a viral moment or getting that, you know, high following back or anything like that. <laughs> yeah. that I feel like people are okay with not being overly polished at the moment. Yeah. But I mean, I think kind of based off of what you said, you know, like the brands are hiring you because you produce a specific type of content or, you know, even if it's not totally in line with them, you're producing a type of content that resonates with your audience. I think that's a good note for creators that you should have consistency with the type of content that you're creating because then a brand can hire you and they know exactly what type of content they're going to get back. So sometimes when you're posting like, you know, half the time iPhone photos that are like, you know, really casual and like maybe you didn't put a lot of work into it. And then these other like really highly produced editorial DSLR camera photo shoots, like that almost confuses the brand, I guess, because they probably are not going to know exactly which of those types of content they're going to get. So maybe for a creator, having some sort of consistency might be more appealing for you guys. Absolutely. I mean, I think... When you look at someone's feed, that is the content that we're anticipating to get back. So whatever you're putting into your feed is really your portfolio at the end of the day, just because your stories don't live on forever. So if you're putting, and I think this is true if you're trying to kind of like deviate from your vertical or, you know, if you're predominantly fashion and you want to start posting wellness content, but you only talk about your routine and your stories and not in your feed wellness brands aren't going to come to you and say, oh, we trust that you can create this content. Like we've seen it before. So yeah, I think the consistency and then also just, and I think this is true of TikTok and everything. I think everyone's been trying, at least this is what I'm seeing. And then also I find myself on creator TikTok sometimes and get fed a lot of information about this (laughs) where people are, you know, so like, and this is for my clients too. Everyone wants to go viral right now. So they're trying to do all these different tricks or follow what other creators are doing to have those moments. And I think at the end of the day, if you consistently post content that's true to you, it will just go so much further than trying to create something that you're not and trying to get a brand's attention or anything like that. Because like, you know, yeah, it doesn't feel true to you. Yeah, it's not authentic. It sticks out. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. Yeah. I mean, and people can scope that out from a mile away, whether it's, you know, brands or potential followers, like when it doesn't feel right, it's pretty obvious. Exactly. So I want to dive a little bit deeper into some holiday specific questions that I had. Now, I don't know if as an agency, you guys are getting as many pitches, obviously, as brands are, but I'm sure you do still have creators pitching, you know, to work with you and the brands that you're, you're representing during the holiday season. So I'm curious, first of all, when a creator is pitching an agency, is there any specific way they should be kind of presenting themselves? Because obviously we can't say, oh, this brand is so in line because you're working with so many brands. So what's the best way for a creator to pitch? But then also during the holiday season, is there anything specific that should be in this pitch that might make you kind of like, you know, really take the pitch seriously and like respond to it and follow up and, you know, dive deeper into a partnership there? Yeah. So we actually get so many inbound requests through the agency Instagram and then also just our general digital team alias email of people constantly presenting themselves and pitching them for just anyone that we work with, which I think those emails do go a long way because Mm -hmm. at the end of the day, you're getting your name in front of us and we may have not otherwise come across you. You know, unfortunately, we all get stuck in these echo chambers of the creators that we see all the time. And even on our explore page and all these different platforms that we use, 
there are still people that are hiding on the internet that we are just not privy to. So I think sending, yeah, you know, there's, I'm always shocked. Sometimes I will come across someone with like 700,000 followers. I'm like, where's this person been hiding? And like, this is all I do is (laughs) discover talent all day. It's fascinating. So I think even sending those general emails, even if you've sent one before, either whether it's quarterly or monthly, just constantly presenting yourself because at the end of the day, when you email us, we may instantly have an opportunity for you. We may have a campaign that's a perfect fit or gifting opportunities that we want to present to you right away. But then other times we may be fully committed across the board or we don't really have something that's a fit. And then you may land yourself on a list, but then, you know, for us to come back and find you again, there's just a lot of correspondence and a lot of list building. So I think presenting yourself on a right. You guys have a lot going on. There's a lot of correspondence. That is what I will say. Um, (laughs) So those like general emails, they don't need to be super lengthy. I think, you know, especially during this, like gearing up for Q4, knowing there's a lot of campaign opportunities, we do get more formalized pitches of, you know, here are some holiday campaigns I did last year. I'd love to be considered for anything that you have upcoming. But I I don't even think it needs to be specific to holiday. I think if you have some strong campaigns from the past, like whether it's summer or spring, you know, we can still see that it's strong content and you might be perfect for... Yeah. I think it's more focused on here are some strong campaigns across these three verticals I work across. Or if you only do fashion a couple examples within that, but showcasing kind of your versatility. Okay. So I don't think it needs to be specific to holiday. And then beyond holiday, this is something that I've been thinking about because I feel like we go through holiday and then people forget that January one is, (laughs) you know, the biggest time for wellness and the biggest time for starting the new year. So there's so many opportunities in January one. Yeah. So also while we're gearing up for Q4 now, making sure that you're checking back in to see what people are doing January 1st, because I think there's just so much that happens. And even from a planning perspective, we're always like, yeah. we can't, we always plan through, I, at least I'm trying to tell all my teams to do this through the end of January instead of, you know, through the end of the year, because that's smart. when we come back from the holidays, there's just a lot happening. So just, I, that was my tip yeah, too. Exactly. Like, don't forget January 1st, especially if you're on the wellness side, which I'm sure is very top of mind for yeah. all of those creators. Right. Yeah. No, that's actually a really great point because I feel like the holiday season is just such madness. And then we assume as creators that they spent all their money and like January is like, okay, they're figuring out their budgets again and like resetting everything for the new year. But I mean, it is, it's true. So many brands that is their most popular time of year. Like that is their holiday season. So especially if you're working with brands in those verticals, definitely would be a good thing to, to note there. Also, I'm curious. So with Q4 obviously being like the biggest shopping time of year for people for, again, like a lot of the most brands, I would say Q4 is probably their biggest time of year again, unless they're in those other verticals where maybe like summer or the new year is theirs. But for the brands that are predominantly doing their chunks of money in the uh, holiday season, do they save a lot of their marketing budget for this time of year? Like, how would you break down percentages that you've seen? Like, is it like 50% is going towards holiday and other 50% is spent throughout the year? Or like, what have you seen in, in terms of that? It's, I feel like the answer to so many of my questions, I'm like, it really depends on the brand, but because we, I've worked <laughs> across so many different verticals <laughs> and brands and we're constantly working right. with, you know, several brands at the same time, it really does depend on what their goals are internally. Yeah. So to your point, if, you know, these other seasons are more, you know, important to them, that's what they're focused on. Yeah. I think that 
a strong influencer marketing team and a strong influencer strategy for any brand is having consistency throughout the year. So what I found with a lot of the brands that I work with is that we do have similar budgets that we're working with every quarter or every month, Mm -hmm. just because the consistency, you know, it's almost to, if you think about it as a consumer, while we're all so hyped and ready to shop in Q4 and starting to do research of things that we might want to give. Most people have things that they're yearning for throughout the year that they finally asked for for Christmas. So as like oh, yeah. marketers trying to get in front of people throughout the year so that it's no brainer what they're trying to shop for in that season, you know, is part of the strategy as well. But I think it's a good point. I'm sure that there are some brands that definitely like double their budget right before the holiday season and really put a lot more. Yeah. For me, for some reason, it has been like pretty consistent from quarter to quarter. Okay, that's good to know. But I mean, that's a really great point is you're almost the brands are selling throughout the year because again, people are going to ask for things for the holidays. So I think that actually makes a lot more sense than just bombarding people during the holiday time. Because especially like there's just so much competition for brands during that time too, because everyone's running ads, every influencer's posting, like it's like you're bombarded by ads during that time. So you almost maybe have a little bit less competition throughout the year. And I also think too, you know, as a creator, I would hit up the brands that I had worked with throughout the year during like ahead of the holiday season, like anyone that you've partnered with in a paid capacity, Mm -hmm. circle back with them you already know the product, you already created content for them, you already know their messaging. It's, it's as a brand. And as you know, the agency side, it's almost a no brainer for us to re engage people who can already speak to the product, especially if it's, you know, I've worked in tech and things like that, especially if it's a complex product, and you already know the ins and outs having to re engage you for, you know, black, Friday sales or a specific holiday push that they have, you kind of do the work for them to say, Hey, here's the content I already produced for you. I'd love to engage with you again. Let me know what you have coming up. I feel like that is something that I would be doing too. Just it makes sense. Again, adding ease for everyone. (laughs) Exactly. Yeah. Then you guys don't have to go through and train someone on a whole new product and like make sure they're going to understand it. It does make sense. Definitely. I actually seen like a lot of creators especially in the last year, I would say, who are securing brand deals in January that will go throughout the the year. So maybe they're like doing, you know, two posts a quarter or something. Mm -hmm. Is that something that you've seen on your end as well? Yeah, we've definitely, I've had partnerships where they've been everything from a one-off to quarterly to annually, where they have specific parameters and content that they need to capture throughout the year. Yeah. And whether that's just like on a quarterly basis or, you know, one launch per quarter or whatever it is, I will say that those in my mind, those partnerships are more at an ambassador level. If we're going to engage someone for a year, you've proven that you are a great fit for the brand. You've driven results in the past. And so we know that if we partner with you for a year, we're going to get consistent results most likely throughout the year. Mm -hmm. So that's the other thing too. I, I know that most people, and I don't think anyone's like a objects to just doing these one-off partnerships because obviously once you get your foot in the door, I feel like it can only escalate up from there. But I do think most of the time we're planning quarterly for campaigns. And again, like there are some annual partnerships, but in my opinion or in my experience, they've just been a little bit more few and far between. Yeah, I would agree with that. So this is probably the biggest question. When I was sourcing uh, questions for this episode, this is literally the question I got a thousand times. (laughs) When should creators be pitching for the holiday season? So, you know, is this something where it would be smart for a creator to pitch in September to maybe do like, you know, 
three pulses, October, November, December? Or, you know, like, should creators be waiting a little while to pitch? When would you like to be receiving, I guess, a pitch for a campaign? Yes. Okay. So if you, if the brand is ahead of the game, I would start pitching now because we're already, it depends how the brand is planning. And you hope that as a planner and the person that's writing strategy, (laughs) we love to have everything in line as as early as possible. That may not always happen based on the size of the brand. I think also like a size of brand could be a huge heritage brand and not be great at planning. You know what I mean? So I think um, (laughs) starting now, I think after Labor Day, you're kind of in this safe space. Obviously, you know, if you're approaching fashion brands right now, they're going to be deep in fashion month for the next month, you know, for September Mm -hmm. through October. So, you know, you'll definitely want to follow up again. But I think starting early, there's no harm in it. And again, just putting yourself constantly in these people's inboxes, the worst thing they're going to say is no. So, you know, I think you should just continuously put yourself out there. But yes, like post, this is when we should all be planning for Q4 um, is now. So yeah, definitely want to get your name in the ring. That makes sense. Yeah. (laughs) Okay, that's good to know. That's good to know. Yeah, I I definitely feel like my kind of strategy for pitching for the holiday has always been like pitch in September and try and, you know, pitch the idea of let's work on multiple pieces of content. I have worked with brands in the past where they'll reach out to me in November and be like, can we do one post in December? Yeah. And I mean, if it aligns with me, great. But also I I don't feel as confident that I'm going to have the best return because I do feel like a lot of the times, especially during the holiday season, when there's so many ads, so many things going on in terms of people posting and you know all of this thing, yeah. chaos basically happening on our feeds. I really think that I need that repeat exposure to do the best job that I can do because again, like the reach could be all over the place. Like I could be posting one day in time when everyone else decided to run all their ads and their posts and then my post gets lost in the mix. Mm -hmm. So I definitely try to do those more repeat exposure partnerships because I I personally just feel more confident that that's the best way that I'm going to be able to do what the brand needs me to do. Yeah, well, and I think... Well, and that's why I was saying, you know, if we're all doing our jobs right, to go pitch now is the best time to do it. Because, you know, we feel it on our end too. I think we're always trying to, like from an agency to the brand, we're always trying to strategize ahead. But because there is so much going on inside these brands, it takes a minute to get budgets approved or get, you know, creative approved and all these different things to put the campaign in motion for our team or an internal team to be be able to even begin doing their outreach to start to secure talent. I completely agree with you. Even as a consumer, you know, we need to see things a couple of times before we're like, all right, I'm pulling the trigger. I'm going to buy this. So I think that the repeat content is like, has proven to be impactful and proven to be successful because, you know, while you, while the conversions may be X the first time you partner, you can see the growth over time. And then, you know, we've also found that we repeat with people over and over again, and then we've exhausted their audience and they're sick of seeing that product. So, you know, it's all (laughs) part of like the, I don't want to say the game, but the approach, but I I do think there's so much validity. Yeah, it's like trial and error almost. Exactly. And then also to your point, when someone reaches out in November, then all of a sudden you have to get the product. You have to be able to create the content. There's approvals. There's just so many steps before that content even goes live where if we can plan a month in advance to have you create and then have it held to go live. It's just, I feel like everyone enjoys that so much better because we're not all scrambling to get this content live at the last minute. 
Exactly. I mean, from a creator perspective, like the times when I get a brand who's like working a month in advance, I'm just like, thank you. Because now I can like (laughs) do the best job on this content because so many times I'll have a brand being like, okay, once you get the product, we're going to need the content in a week. And then we'll have you posted a couple of days after that. And I'm just like, that's not enough time. Like I need to buy props. Like I want to be able to like take my time and really plan this out and do the best job that I can. And then those are the brands that are always like, oh, well, you know, why didn't this perform as as we expected? I'm like, well, you guys didn't give me enough time. And when I asked for it, you were like, no, we need it now. (laughs) So it really makes the process way less stressful for everyone. I totally agree with that. Yeah, no, I mean, it. and sometimes I... I am even impressed how quickly people can turn around content. I do think it depends on the vertical and the product and, you know, what we're even pushing. But the timelines, especially around the hall, especially when we're leading up to a launch or a Black Friday moment or something specific, it just always gets a little crazy. I feel like there's no way to avoid it, but... We do our best. It's true. <laughs> exactly. Exactly. So I want to talk a little bit about rates. I guess not really super specific to the holidays. Now, I'm sure that working with so many different creators, you probably see that rates are just like completely all over the place. I don't know if that... I wonder if that will ever change. I don't know, honestly. But like, even from what I noticed from working with my students, like I have so many students who are in the same follower count, same demographic, same quality of content, and they're charging just like hundreds of dollars different from each other. So how do you decide, I guess? Like, can you explain from the agency perspective how budgeting works? Like when when you get money from a brand, like how do you decide how much goes to ad spend, how much goes to actually paying for the content? Like, how do you kind of break all of that down? And then how do you decide, I guess, how much to pay each creator? Yes. Okay. So typically, and this isn't true of every client that we work with, but typically once we get our budget, the budget for paid social and paid ads has already been removed just because our team doesn't do paid social. We only do the content and campaign portion, and then that's handed off to another agency. So we don't have to figure that part out. We're just given a lump sum to work (laughs) with. So it depends. So we have some brands that have never run an influencer campaign, and they'll tell us, you know, we really want to either reach this demo at in this this is like very rare that people come to us and say like, we want to reach this many people and this whatever. I think most of the time people come to us and they say, we want to reach three to four partners. Okay. And, you know, what would you recommend our budget would be? And so there's times where we're, okay. you know, from we come at it from that angle where we're like, okay, you can give us X amount of dollars. We will reach three to four people between X following and X following. So we'll kind of give them the parameters. Mm-hmm. Most, and that is like, education, no one's done a campaign before. And that is starting from scratch. Yeah, when we're working with teams that have done campaigns that this is something that they do quarterly every season, they usually come to us and say, Okay, here's our lump sum, right? What do you guys want to do with it? Or here's our lump sum, we want 10 creators, we want them to have this amount of following. So okay, once we kind of have those parameters in place, we then start to kind of divvy up the budget from there. And It's challenging because, you know, at times if, and this is also part of it too, where I think we have creators come and they're like, Hey, I saw you partnered with X, Y, and Z. Like, I'd love to work with you. And we just know based on their following and, you know, who they are that we're, they're definitely going to be out of budget and there's probably no way to work with them. So we really have to be strategic in terms of say like we have 50K 
And we want, and it also depends on the deliverables. Like, sorry, I feel like I'm talking a little bit of a circle. There's just no, so many there's factors. literally just, it's a puzzle. There's yeah, so many moving parts. <laughs> and just clients come in at such different, with such different outlooks on influencer marketing. So exactly. it really just depends. But we have to just try to stretch our budget as far as we can. I think that that is what it comes down right. to for every client, no matter what the parameters are, is stretching the budget as far as it can go. And so once we outline deliverables, we then pre-assign kind of what we would want to spend with each creator. And then mm-hmm. personally, I still, if I haven't worked with you before, I'll always reach out and get your rates before I present you with an offer. Because the last thing that we want to do yeah. is come to you with a very low rate that is offensive and not in line with what you're asking or getting <laughs> paid for. So we typically ask for people's rates. And then from there, we just decide, okay, can we even get close to what this person wants? And even if we can't, sometimes we go back and say, okay, this is, all we can pay you, let us know if you want to partner. Yeah. But I mean, it's challenging because I think too, you know, we don't always have big budgets, but we want to partner with five people right. and a specific, you know, that have certain following and check certain boxes. Exactly. So not to say there's no rhyme or reason, but, you know, I've paid creators, you know, X amount of dollars for one campaign where they had a larger budget. And then I've gone back to them with a much lower budget to see if they want to consider it because, it's a cool brand and they may right. be open to kind of like flexing their rates. But I think for the most part, people do like lock in where they're at and don't want to budge from that. And I respect that. And I think if you have people that are consistently paying you do that and maybe we can, right. you know, work together down the line. But the rates even on our side are completely all over the board in terms of the budget that we're getting and the expectations right. that brands have with what that amount of dollars should get them. Because like, I, you know, people are still just getting used to spending money on creators. And <laughs> exactly. It, this is new. <laughs> and I, yeah. And I feel like, unfortunately, too, it's just held to such a high standard where if you pay someone and they, you don't see any conversions, they are so shocked and yeah. they never want to work with you again. And so it's just trying to find rates that make everyone happy is a, a challenge. <laughs> Yeah, it's a challenge, but that's like, I don't envy you being in that situation of trying to find like the right creator for the right campaign at the right time with the right rates. And I think like, I try and tell this to people all the time, like, especially when you're pitching, you're sending a pitch and you may not get a response a lot of the times. That's because there's just so many moving parts, like so many boxes that you have to check off. And it's so rare that it's going to be the perfect time with the perfect brand. Again, perfect rates, like all of these things have to line up. So I like to tell that to creators to kind of manage their expectations with pitching because it's really easy to send a pitch out and, you know, like have a brand not ever respond to you, but you have to not take it personally. Cause yeah. like you're saying, like, look at how many things have to line up and it's just so rare that that happens. So, um, it's good to hear it from your perspective, you know, that like, it's not that you hate us. It's just yeah. that like, there's so many moving parts. <laughs> right. And I think too, like recently I've actually noticed that a lot of creators are putting in, like when I go to them to ask for rates and they kind of break everything down for me, they'll know you know, these are my rates, but I really want to work with you. So if you can't meet me here, let Mm -hmm. me know what you can offer. I'd still love to consider that. And I think if that's how you really feel, I think it's always great to express that because it kind of, no one is, is going to, because you say that, then come back to you with a lower offer. If they already have a low offer, they're just going to come back truly with what they have and say like, this is it. Yeah. Because also the back and forth with the negotiations, everyone 
wants to just kind of expedite that process as fast as possible. So we, we're not going to meet somewhere. We're not going to meet somewhere and we'll keep in touch. But yes, I think that when people, to your point where people's rates are kind of all over the board, we also see so many rates every single day. So all we do is kind of compare these different rates, even if we're not doing it intentionally, but knowing, you know, what we've paid someone who may have a higher following and a higher engagement versus someone who maybe is new to this scene and they're throwing out rates to see what they can get back. Right, exactly. If you are a creator and you kind of can, in my experience, I feel like a lot of creators chat and they share their rates, they share what brands are paying them so that you can kind of deduce what then you should be getting paid. But I also think there's no harm in like going out with some high rates and seeing what you get back if you're kind of noting that you have some flexibility to work with that brand. Yeah, definitely. Do you guys ever go back and so, for example, like if it's a creator that you really, really wanted to work with and maybe the maybe the the rate that they're presenting you with is just like a little bit out of budget. Do you guys ever go back to the brand and say, like, look, this person is like literally perfect. You're really going to love them. Like, can we just stretch it a little bit further? Absolutely. I like all day, every day. I (laughs) being the middleman is an interesting place to be (laughs) because especially if it's a creator that you're super passionate about or that is your a friendly that you work with all the time and you really want them to be a part of this campaign. And we always make a case for anyone that, you know, once you get past the point of like, here's our final 10 people that we want to work with, we've assigned rates to them. Mm -hmm. We always are also, we know that there's going to probably need to be some flax, like at the end of the day, like no one's, not everyone's just going to say like, yes, this is perfect. Let's move forward. I would say that never happens, actually. I feel like we're always kind of, (laughs) there's always a little bit of back and forth. So yeah, we'll definitely take it back to the client, share. We also like add some color where anything that you share with us, where you're like, sorry, like I have these other campaigns. So, you know, me doing this is already a stretch. That's why I need to charge more for this. Anything that you can share with us too, as to why your rates, if it's not just like your standard rate and it's because it's the holiday season and you've increased your rates or whatever it may be. And the brands also get excited about working with certain creators. So if they really want to work with you, they'll make it happen. They can find, or we can like move budget around or, you know, shift things. So yeah, we're definitely making a case on either side and then taking back the brand's feedback and also making a case for them as well as to why you guys should flex on your end too. So it's definitely a balance, but... I mean, I think that's like a good note for creators to keep in mind, you know, like this has happened to me a few times where brands have gone back and been like, okay, we're going to talk and then, okay, yes, we can make it happen. Like they pulled budget again from another place or whatever. And I think it's a good thing to note that if you are a good brand partner and you make things easy for the brands that you work with and you're organized and you're on time and you're detail oriented, like if you can be a really good brand partner they will find a way to make it work most of the time, you know, or at least meet you closer to to your rates that than you would be able to get otherwise. So I think that from what I've heard with every person on the brand or the agency side that I've ever talked to is like, if you are a brand partner that is really doing the most for that brand, like they're going to work to make it happen for you. So that's definitely something I think for creators to keep in mind. I would say the smallest things go a long way, just like in just going above and beyond. Yes. Whenever I've worked with someone who has contracted deliverables and they end up posting like a bonus story, even if it's just like one frame when they receive the product they're going to promote later. Or yeah, if you can like little things like that, 
I think speak volumes to brands. And we as an agency will always call out to our client, be like, here's their contracted deliverables. And then here's like one, even if it's like one extra frame or yeah. something. And we're like, they went over the top to present because, you know, you don't owe us anything more than what you're contracted for. And I think right. if you do post these kind of like added bonus things, not to say that you need to do this for everyone, but if you really do, you know, if you're passionate about the brand, it's something that you would be posting about anyway. Right. Those really do go a long way, in my opinion, because yeah. it just also helps your audience familiarize with that product more and it goes a long way. Exactly. No, 100%. I also wanted to quickly touch on UGC. I'm sure you've heard that this is like buzzword of the year, right? But obviously, UGC is not new. Like, We've been doing UGC for a thousand years, yes. but at this point, there are obviously a lot more UGC creators because they're discovering what it is. Is this a good time with the holidays to be pitching UGC? Like, do you find that brands are looking for creators to just do sponsored stuff so they can make those sales? Or do you find that some brands that you're working with are also looking for UGC content to use however they want? Again, I think it depends on the brand, but it's good strategy, in my opinion, to always be taking or partnering for new UGC. I, you know, yeah. in addition to going back to why we're partnering with different creators for different reasons, you know, you may be partnering with or spending a lot of your budget to partner with, you know, someone in the mid tier 300K or macro range mm-hmm. so that you can have this mass awareness and have this name that's known attached to your brand for the holiday season. And that can eat up half, you know, a large chunk of your budget. Right. And you may not also be able to use their content for paid ads because obviously using their content is so much more expensive than you <laughs> using UGC. So right. I think that there's, I don't think there's ever a bad time to pitch yourself to any brand, in my opinion. I think that someone is always going to be needing the content. And I feel like if you have a great 360 approach internally as a brand or as an agency, all these things should be consistent throughout the year. Yeah. Obviously, you know, during the holiday, they may ramp up the paid campaign portion, but I think there's always a need for original content, especially during the holidays. If you want this to be holiday specific, they definitely need that content. I love that. Perfect. This was so helpful. I mean, it's crazy because I talked to so many brands and agencies and creators all day, but like every time I talk with a new person, I feel like I get so many good nuggets of like, oh, wow, I never thought of it that way. Or that was like something I've never heard before. (laughs) So this was so helpful. I really, really appreciate you coming on here. I'm sure every creator listening is like taking notes hardcore right now. (laughs) Um, So thank you again so much for being here. Um, You guys can find Alex's information down in the show notes. I'm sure you can go send her a pitch <laughs> for the holiday season if you're... Yes, yes I love it. I love it. <laughs> so thank you so much for being here. We really appreciate it. Yes, thank you for having me. Of course. And we will see you guys all next week. Thank you so much for listening to this episode of Social Scoop brought to you by Your Social Mate, where we help entrepreneurial creators learn how to monetize and turn their online influence into a legitimate, profitable, and self-sustaining business. We hope you absolutely love this episode and come back every Tuesday for a new one. If you really enjoyed this episode, feel free to leave us a review here and send us a DM to let us know your favorite part. We're an open book if you ever want to discuss episodes. You can find us on Instagram and TikTok at KBOUSQ. We'll see you next week.